great to see everybody here on this Sunday morning. Um, winter came back all of a sudden. We had a beautiful week. It was just gorgeous every day, and then uh, the weekend came, and I don't know what happened to the temperatures. Uh, well, it is mid-February, so I guess this is, it's okay. But uh, good to be in the house of the Lord, good to be able to worship together today on the second Sunday of February, and, uh, and what a great job the handbell uh, ringers did. I wonder if we could give them a big hand for uh, what they did. And as Pastor Christina mentioned, they're looking for um, a, a few people to, um, to join the choir. I love watching Carter ring ten bells at a time. It's fantastic. But uh, I'm sure that they would love to have uh, more company up there as well. Um, y'all, y'all do uh, have quite a standard, though, to, uh, to live up to. Y'all, are, y'all do a great, great job. But I know Julia will help uh, get people, um, will train people up to it, right? So, absolutely. Cool. Um, so anyway... Um, I hope y'all are having a good week. It's a, a good start to the week. Our scripture today comes from um, Daniel, an uh, Old Testament prophet. That um, who, who, Which kids were in Sunday school today? Were you in Sunday school today? We all, no, nobody was in Sunday school today? Okay, I shouldn't point people out, should I? That embarrasses people. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was. Who was? Kira, were you in Sunday school? Did you learn about Daniel? Yes? Okay, great. Okay, good. Whew. All right. <laughs> Last time I'll do that. So, right. so Daniel, chapter 1. Good. Oh, let me start over. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master Ashpenaz to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine, They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine, So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight to all visions and dreams. 
At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we ask that you would be with us today as we start a brand new week with worship. Lord, I pray that our worship might continue all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, let me ask it in a simpler way. How many people in here um, have ever heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den when they were, when they were younger? Okay, you've heard that story? Okay, almost everybody, great. And how many have heard the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Okay, oh, same people, great. Okay, cool. Um, both of these stories come from the book of Daniel in the Hebrew Scriptures, from the book that we just read. While our, study, our children are studying Daniel in Sunday school, I thought it'd be interesting for us to take more of a grown-up look at the book of Daniel and its array of interesting stories. See, the book of Daniel was written about 200 years before Christ, during a time when Judaism was being persecuted. In fact, it was probably written during the persecution that is commemorated today by the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. Um, Daniel is kind of the, um, the revelation of the Old Testament, if you will. The story is set, however, in a time 400 years before um, the time that it was actually written. It, it's a time when Judah had been conquered and captured by the powerful and violent king Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Chaldean Empire with its capital and palace in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. So the Jews who are reading this are looking back to their history to find inspiration for their current situation. All right? So it would be kind of like if uh, Americans today were reading about the American Revolution to inspire them and teach them um, about how to deal with today's current problems. Okay? The message of the book of Daniel is to have courage and to stand fast in your convictions. And if that means that we're going to be placed in the lion's den or the fiery furnace as a consequence of our actions, well then, so be it. Because we can be sure that God will be with us. The story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a story about how people with godly values survive in a world where the gods that those around them worship seem to be power and wealth. How does someone who believes in sharing and everybody having enough survive in the midst of a society that worships greed? How does someone who believes in justice survive in an institution whose goal is to preserve prestige? How does someone who believes in peace survive in a culture that assumes we got to solve all our problems through war? How does someone who's committed to inclusion survive in a setting that thrives on exclusion? I don't think these are hypothetical questions. And they're certainly not questions only relegated to our past. These questions are as relevant today in 21st century North Carolina as they were in the Middle East in the time before Christ. And they're as pertinent to life in the United Methodist Church as they were to the ancient Jews. 
The book of Daniel presents a particular viewpoint about how people who believe in God and want to live godly lives are meant to live in the real world of power, inequality, privilege, and exclusion. The argument of the book of Daniel is that God wants God's people in positions of influence in the palace. In the book of Daniel, God arranged for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought from backwater Judah to join the palace staff of King Nebuchadnezzar, the very same king who had conquered their nation, stolen their riches, and made them a country of servants and slaves. God wanted Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the palace. This is the book of Daniel's answer to a very hard question. Where does God want me to be? Does God want me to be in an intentional Christian community, in a poor neighborhood, in some city living in voluntary poverty? Does God want me in a monastery, cut off from the rest of the world, and devoted to prayer and simple living? Does God want me in a nonprofit, committed to the same values of justice and the same goal of making this world a better place that I'm committed to? Daniel's answer is this. God wants me in the very heart of the powers that stand against the very things that I believe in. Daniel's answer is God wants me and my friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the king's palace where an idol repugnant to us is worshipped and power, wealth, ruthlessness, violence, privilege, and injustice are glorified. Now this may not be the only answer to that question, but it is Daniel's answer to the question. Daniel's answer is that God wants us in the lion's den. He wants us in the fiery furnace. After King Nebuchadnezzar's armies defeated Judah, Nebuchadnezzar sent his chief of staff, Ashpenaz, to bring the brightest, most competent, the Bible even says best-looking, young Israelites back to Babylon to become part of the palace staff to assist the king with tough political questions. So he, he, these guys kind of become advisors. They're, they're like his cabinet for, for the king. The book of Daniel says that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ten times better than the other king's advisors and analysts. They were ten times better than his other magicians and enchanters. But keep in mind, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not believe they were there to undermine the palace's operation to be these secret agents, to create confusion or disarray in the palace or to bring down the king from the inside. No. If God wanted them in the palace, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God wanted them to excel while they were there. They believed that God expected more than mediocrity from them in the palace because there's no credibility in mediocrity. The king will not trust or value mediocrity. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God expected nothing less than excellence from them. You know, I sort of consider Wrightsville part of the palace of mainline Christianity and the United Methodist Church. Um, I consider it a privilege to be appointed here to be your pastor. And we have more power and prestige than we'd probably care to admit. We are among the largest and best resourced churches of any denomination in the Wilmington area, and we are certainly among the largest and best resourced churches among the United Methodists of the North Carolina Annual Conference. 
a lot of our credibility comes from doing things well over a long period of time. And while many mainline churches that are 50 years old or older are on the decline around the country, we continue to thrive. We're known for far more than just our beautiful location. We're known for excellent music. We're known for having a great youth group. We are known for being engaged in local and international missions. People in other churches pay attention to what we do in small groups. Pastors of other churches pay attention to how we govern ourselves and how we, um, how we tackle hard issues. Part of the reason that Wrightsville has credibility is because we do some things pretty well in the midst of a mainline church movement that seems to settle for mediocrity. Remember, if God has put you in the palace, he expects you to excel. Now, I don't mean for us to be too self-congratulatory, okay? Um, there are plenty of areas where we are actually behind the curve. Several ministries that we need to strengthen. There are areas where we probably look better on the surface than the substance actually is. In, in fact, our administrative council had a retreat just yesterday where we talked about some of our areas of, that we consider to be strengths and some of our areas that we consider to have sort of growing edges, if you will. But again, I'll say that if God has put us in the palace, he expects us to excel. One place where God expects excellence is in how we treat others. And I think Daniel is a shining example of this. Notice that Daniel not only stood with grit, but he also stood with grace. Go, go back and read verse 11 with me, okay? So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be examined before you and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. You see what Daniel did here? He didn't stage a protest. He didn't firebomb the banquet hall. He didn't threaten the king. He just very quietly and graciously proposed an alternative. He did this not because he's some strict vegetarian, but because the meat he was being served had been sacrificed to the Chaldean gods and not the Lord our God. He said, yeah, you let the other guys eat the prime rib and the barbecue and the red wine. Just let us eat and drink water, cornbread, okra, and tomatoes, and let's see what happens. Okay? And I just want to say right here that we ought to have the courage of our convictions, and we ought to stand up for what is right. But you don't have to be a jerk to have convictions. You can be right without being rude. You, know, you can be courageous without being crass. I am Christian to the core, but quite frankly, I'd rather be around an affable atheist than a cranky Christian. In fact, let's take this a step further. Daniel served four kings, according to the book of Daniel. He served Nebuchadnezzar, Darius the Mede, Belshazzar, and briefly King Cyrus. Okay? Daniel loved the kings he served, and they came to love him. Daniel loved the king even when the king had him put in the lion's den. In fact, the king loved Daniel so much that he stayed up all night praying to Daniel's God that the lions wouldn't eat him. Daniel would not serve the king's gods, but he still loved the king. So here's another challenge from the book of Daniel. How do you love and serve kings who worship other goals and values 
without worshiping their gods. This may be the most important challenge in the book of Daniel. We tend to love and want to serve only the kings we agree with. This is true whether our kings are presidents, principals, parents, or pastors. But Daniel's power and witness was that he loved kings whose gods he would not worship. So here's the question for us. How do we love people whose gods we will not worship? One of the things that baptism teaches us is that God doesn't love and include us because of our philosophical, theological, or doctrinal stance. You know, most of us are too young to get any of that right, right? We're just babies. God loves us and includes us regardless of whether or not we ever figure all that out. I want to love people even if I disagree with them vehemently. I don't want to worship the same understanding of God that they have, but I want to love them. This is what Daniel teaches us, that we can be instruments of grace to people who worship gods we don't worship if we're willing to love them. Neil Samudre is a Christian writer who has a podcast called Jesus Hacks. It's a, it's a twist on that uh, popular term, you know, having a, a life hack, you know, to um, make things easier. And he shares a secret on how to engage people that you don't agree with. He says, love them anyway. I know, easier said than done, right? He says, somewhere along the line, we've come to believe that in order to love someone, you have to agree with them. You must line up on the same views and disapprove of no situation in their life. He goes on to say, years ago, I had to battle this idea. I had a friend who just continued to make poor choices. And when there was a slight glimmer of hope that she might redeem her situation, she'd make another bad decision and just ruin everything. And it killed me, he said. And unfortunately, it killed our friendship too. He said, I had trouble interacting with her because I approved of about 40% of the things she did. Mind you, that's less than 50, right? I'd rush to get out of conversations with her. I would struggle to keep a straight face in front of her. And ultimately, I wrestled with whether or not our friendship was worth it all. And after answering yes to that last question, I realized something about how I was treating her. My relationship with her was very conditional. It was based on whether or not I agreed with her. And I wasn't sure if that was the right soil to tend a deep, long-lasting friendship. When we base our love on our approval, we miss something so essential to what love actually is. See, you can love someone you don't agree with because love is not a matter of our approval. It's a practice of our grace. It is grace that keeps the commitment of love continually fresh. There are times when, honestly, we need to let go of relationships because they are damaging. But oftentimes, we let go of relationships too soon over some petty thing, such as not agreeing wholeheartedly with that person on every decision that they make or every opinion that they have. We choose to take the easy way out instead of the hard road towards a beautiful communion that's just saturated with grace. But it's the harder path that grows us. It's the harder path that challenges us. It is the harder path that teaches us and stretches us to become better people. Also, a neglected truth is that grace is a powerful motivator. 
We can believe adhering to our opinions is the better way to love someone because showing them the right way is the best thing that you could do for them. But sometimes, sometimes the other person just needs to hear a word of grace. And when you give the other person what they need first, they are way more apt to listen to you next. So next time you struggle with a friend or family member or, or someone because you don't agree with them, let your ability to love speak first rather than your opinion. And I don't mean you have to agree with them or do what they do or worship their gods. In fact, if anything, Daniel tells us don't do those things, but we can still love them. It certainly makes for better relationships, trust me. And I know it is so hard to be a person of conviction and courage while also being a person of grace and love is tough. Most people can exhibit one or the other. It is really hard to do both, and the Lord knows I am trying. I certainly need to work on it. But this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus exemplified. These are defining characteristics of Christians. By the grace of God, May we have the courage to stand tall in our convictions while also having the grace to meet others where they are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Most holy and loving God, Lord, you are a God of high standards, a God of convictions and courage, and yet you're willing to meet us where we are, even when we don't get things right, even when we're headstrong and stubborn, even when we think we've got it all figured out. Holy God, thank you for showing grace to us. May we be as gracious to others. In Jesus' name, amen.